Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast. Sixers just won a 4-1 series against the Washington Wizards. I think we're all pretty excited about that, guys. We got Chris and Uriah here, guys. You guys excited for the next round? Yeah, for the most part. A bit nervous now, given the recent news. I'm still excited. Yeah, same here. I'm a little nervous about this meniscus thing, but we'll get into it later, guys. Most certainly, most certainly. But before we get into that, I think, Chris, you got to talk about Game 5 here, man. What? What's? Tell us what's up. Yeah, Game 5, a pretty dominant performance without Joel Embiid, who obviously was out due to a small tear in his right meniscus, which again we'll get into later. A really dominant all-around performance, I think. All the role players stepped up. This might have been Seth Curry's best game as a Sixer so far. Ben Simmons had a triple-double. Tobias Harris bounced back after a pretty lousy performance in Game 4. A lot of really good positive takeaways. This game was pretty much over by the time the fourth quarter rolled around. Lucas, what were some of your thoughts? Well, my number one thought is, and this is a hot take here, next season, Tyrese Maxey will be a starter. And this game proved why he should be, because him and Ben can play together. He was a plus 14, Ben was a plus 17. Those were the two highest plus minus scores for the Sixers in this game. They, they played well together. They can play off each other. Maxie had 13 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists. Maxie's more of a scoring guard, but he can also run the pick and roll. Ben Simmons sh- showed that he can, he he actually played pretty well as a big man. Granted, he's not going to be playing center next year. He'll be, I think he should be playing power forward, but a playmaking power forward, kind of like a supercharged Lamar Odom. You know, if Lamar Odom was like more athletic and quicker and better passer, but I mean, you guys get what I'm saying here. Like, it could work. It, that's that's my biggest takeaway here. Uh, Matisse Thibel got the start in, uh, in place of the injured Joel Embiid. Corkmans had a good game. But I'll say one thing that I was kind of disappointed in is uh, Shake Milton. He's almost out of this rotation. He's not looking good in this in this series at all. He He's not, guys. And it's concerning because he was supposed to be the de facto sixth man at the beginning of the year. But now, Maxie's clearly overtaken him. And he doesn't, he looks like a shell of his former self. Look, I think Shake pretty much is out of the rotation at this point. He played a few minutes tonight, but um, he's pretty clearly like number 10 when this team is healthy and going into a series against Atlanta, which is just a much stronger team than Washington. Doc is probably going to cut down his rotations at some point. And I think Shake is a pretty easy casualty there with how things have been going. You mentioned Maxi, who is really, really solid all night. Certainly looks like someone who can maybe, or maybe should be in the starting five when Embiid is missing time if the Sixers are going to stick with this small ball group with Ben at the five. Mm-hmm. I, I think Maxi has really come on in that way. And then, you know, I, 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 obviously Ben had a really strong performance. I think it was a really good series overall for him. Mm-hmm. And then Tobias, you know, game four was pretty... Like again, lousy. It was just a bad night for him. Twenty-one points on twenty-four shots. It was he looked much more like last season's Tobias than this season's Tobias. He fell into a lot of his old bad habits. So it was really nice to see him bounce back tonight with Joel off the floor. They needed that from him. Washington was pesky. They were sticking around for a lot of that first half. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, Tobias came up in a big way. Yeah, you certainly make a good point. And I think outside of Game 4, Tobias had a great first round. 
which is much different than what we've said about Tobias in the last uh, two playoff series that he's played for the Sixers. Uh, Korkmaz outside of game one had a pretty good series too, I, I believe. So, I mean, I, I don't have major complaints. Um, there's not too much more to take. I mean, Curry looked like his brother in some uh, at certain points in the third quarter. Uh, Maxi carried the team in the second uh, quarter. Ben, like you said, overall great game. I think the big man position where he's, you know, he can initiate the offense or, you know, playing four out with Ben obviously got him a triple-double. Him rebound, you know, being down low more, getting more rebounds. He had two blocks in the game, too, which was great. Um, would like to see more games like that from Ben being, uh, you know, irritant with the shot blocking. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was a, it was a good way to cap the series. I mean, George Hill only had two points, but 14 minutes, two points. I mean, I would like a little bit more from Hill, but they didn't need it in this game. So not going to complain there. Let's talk about the players as a series overall, but we're going to talk about what grades we give individual players. So, Uriah, go ahead and take it over for us, man. Sure, sure. So, out of the five games that the Sixers played the Washington Wizards, I have a list of names, all players that are from the Sixers. We'll start with the bench players, go to the starters, and we'll start off with George Hill. Lucas, what do you give him for a grade for the series? I'll give him a B. You know, solid veteran, steady hand in the second unit. I like it. Um, you know, could hit some timely shots, not overly aggressive. I would have liked a little bit more, but, you know, solid B. I, I, I think that's fair. I might even go B plus just because, you know, I, I think he'll really came into his own this series. He, he kind of struggled a bit towards the end of the regular season, took some time to adjust to the new system and his new teammates. He obviously missed a pretty big chunk of the regular season due to that wrist injury with LKC. I really think he came into his own this series. He had his best game as a sixer yet in game four. Obviously, that was a loss, but he he, he was not the reason they lost. So I, I might even go B+, because I think he was pretty much their most reliable bench player for a lot of this series. Okay, so George Hill did pretty decent with his debut playoff series with the Sixers. Let's go to Shake Milton. D. He He's looking like he doesn't have any confidence like he did last year. Shots aren't falling. He's not competing on the defensive end. He was out of the rotation, basically, as Chris said, by the end of the series. And it do- it just doesn't look like he has it right now. Whether it's mental or if he's dealing with injury, we don't know. But it's clear that he needs to gather himself this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I, I-, I think these a little kind, Lucas. I, I just give him an F. Like he didn't do anything. I I, I don't. As, as a teacher, I feel bad giving kids Fs. I have Look, I have to, I have to give him a D for at least trying. He started the series as the Sixers' number one bench piece and ended it playing like three minutes and pretty much looking like the twelfth man. So I, I don't really know if you can give him anything other than an F. So now we go to the Turkish sensation Furkan Korkmaz. What grade did we give him? Uh, I would feel confident giving him a solid B if it wasn't for game one. I'm going to give him a B minus just because that game one he looked, he did not produce. But overall, I think he had a solid, if not a slightly, I think B, B is fine with B, B minus, B minus. Yeah, I'll go B minus. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'll say B minus too. All right, let's move on to Mike Scott, Lucas. Mike Scott, 
D minus has to be D minus. I th- I don't think I need to explain myself. D minus is a solid one. Yeah, I, um, I'm being kind. Yeah, like Scott, it, it, he didn't really play much. He had that 16 minutes in game four. Was had had a few minutes in game five. It, it's not really fair to knock him. I don't think he was really much of a presence at all this series. But you know, yeah, a D seems fine, but. Really more of an incomplete than than a solid grade. Okay, now let's go to the backup center, and that's no one other than Dwight Howard. This was tough. If it wasn't for this game, he'd also get a D for me, but because of this game and he bounced back, I'm going to give him a C-. Overall, he just looked outmatched by the three-man rotation that the Wizards had, but he stepped up a big way in this game five, so that jumps him up to a C- for me. Yeah, I, I can go C minus. I'll, I'll give you that one. I like how he protected the rim tonight. I, I yes. knew he was gonna have to step up and fill that role better than the last game, and he did. So, good, good for Howard. All right, my main man, Tease Lucas. What do we give Matisse Thybul? Uh Matisse, I'll give him a B plus. I'll give him a B plus. Yeah. I think B's fair. Obviously, had a really special game too with five steals, mm-hmm. and four blocks in nineteen minutes. Um, not not his best five game stretch of the season, but a really solid outing. So, I'll give him a B. Okay. All right. Now let's go to the starting lineup. Let's go with Danny Green. B plus. I think he's for the most part he hit his shots. I th- I don't think this game was particularly great with him hitting his shots. I remember correctly, but I, so yeah, I think B plus is fair for Danny Green, especially in that game. What was it game three where he hit five three pointers in the first half? Yeah, no, it's Danny Green. And Danny Green is a B plus in my opinion. Love Danny Green. Thought he was great in this series. I think B plus is a, a fair grade. All right, let's go to Steph Curry. Oop, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. He played like Steph Curry tonight, but let's go with Seth Curry. Ooh, this one's hard because I wasn't overly impressed prior to this game. You know, I'll give him a B plus just because of this game. B plus. Yeah, I'll say B. A really solid stretch. Nothing terribly special until this evening in Game Five, but not not a bad series by any stretch. I thought he did his job fairly well. He had some big shots in other games, so I I think a B is a pretty solid way to go. All right, excellent. Now let's go to the Sixers' big three. Yes, I did say big three. You and that big three, man. I'm telling you, it, it is a big three. You may not like it, but let's go with Tobias Harris. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say a minus. Uh, game four was horrendous, but outside of game four, I mean, he was, I think, prior to this game, he was still averaging 24 points a game in this series. A, and he was doing it pretty efficiently outside of game four. So I think. I think Tobias getting an A minus is more than fair. He stepped up his game in this first round. Now he needs to do it moving forward. But his scoring game was on point. Yeah, I mean we're grading on a curve. I got to hand out some A's at some point. So I, I think A minus <laughs> is a pretty fair, you know, pretty fair for Tobias. Obviously, Game Four was a bit of an oddity, but he had thirty seven in Game One. It was really by far his best playoff series. Obviously, as a Sixer so far, so a lot to like. Chris is hard to please. I tell you, Lucas, unless the player's name is B-Ball Paul, he's not really giving out many A's. Or Poku. Don't forget about Poku. Or or Raul Neto. 
Chris, yeah. well, what grade would you give Howu? <laughs> A plus. Oh yeah, boy. Of course. Okay. Of course. All right. Now we go to the team's most, I don't know, polarizing player. He made his foul shots tonight. Thank God. We don't have to talk about it. But Ben Simmons, Lucas, what grade do you give him? You know what? I'll I'll also give him an A minus. Actually, no, I'll take that back. I'll give him an A. I think he played on that. Uh, I mean, game four was weird and game one was weird in terms of scoring, but how he impacted the game every other way is beyond important. So yeah, I think a solid A is good. If he if he had more triple doubles or more twenty point or nineteen to twenty point games, I think he'd be an A plus. But I think an A is oh, is a fair grade considering how else he impacts the game. Yeah, uh, I'll go A minus. Um, but wow, really solid series all around. It's not a bad grade by any stretch. Played some really important defense on Bradley Beal. Obviously, had some great playmaking moments really strong effort in game five obviously a triple double to help close things out he was by far the best player on the floor in this evening's game um i I think game four he was probably a lot better than people gave him credit for um obviously the foul trouble sucked but a a minus and last but not least the man himself the process joel Embiid. i think this was pretty simple it's a plus yeah he was the best player in the series but i'm pretty Solid stretch. If I'm grading on a curve, it's an A+. Plus. Um, obviously, the injury sucks. Um, you know, foul trouble in Game 1. He still had 30 points, though. Set a playoff career high with 36 in Game 3. Not a lot to complain about from what we did see from him. Um, so, even though it's a little bit incomplete, missed some time there at the end, uh, I'll give him my one and only A+. Plus. What curve are you grading on? That's what I want to know. What curve are you grading on? The Chris Klein curve. The Chris Klein curve. Yes. You're going to have to explain that someday. But I think oh. I think it's time to talk oh. about it. Speaking of the big man, I think we have something to talk about him, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm an arts major, uh, so don't ask me to explain the math. But we're <laughs> going to talk about Joel now. Um, obviously, pretty big bummer. Went down in the first quarter of game four with a an apparent, looked like a injury to the tailbone at first. But upon further review, you could see his right knee buckle a little bit. Took the Sixers a while to go through some tests due to some transportation issues getting back home after game four. But it turns out it's a torn right meniscus. It's apparently a very small tear. They're optimistic that he can play again in this series. Kyle Newbeck did some great reporting that I suggest everyone go read. It seems like the possible variations in terms of outcomes for this injury is pretty wide. You know, there's a chance he's able to come back and play at close to or at full strength and and finish out the postseason. There's a chance that it could get worse and they end up shutting him down. Or there's a chance that it's somewhere in between, you know, where it's a day-to-day thing. Some nights he's going to be better than others. We don't really know. But at the end of the day, a meniscus tear has been problematic for Joel in the past. It's definitely not the ideal situation, um, given what we saw in, in terms of him going down. So, Lucas... How concerned are you right now? Guys, I am walking on a torn meniscus. I don't know if you guys know that. I have a torn meniscus. I haven't gotten surgery, but I don't need to because I'm not athletically active like Joel Embiid is. But let me tell you something. It is still uncomfortable from day-to-day stuff doing that sometimes. Sometimes it will act up. It does not feel great. Actually, 
my the one that I have torn in my left knee right now is bothering me during this podcast. I can feel it aching right now. So there's that. The other thing that we have to consider is last time Philadelphia had a center that had a meniscus problem that not named Joel Embiid. It eventually is essentially ended his career. Do you guys want to know the name of that center? I think we all know. His name is Andrew Bynum. I was going to say Bynum. Okay. Yeah. He had a torn meniscus in the 2010 NBA Finals uh, playoffs. He played through it. Played through it. (laughs) He played through it. And it got to the point where he couldn't even suit up for the Sixers. So, worst case scenario, guys. And as somebody that's dealt with knee problems in the past, I promise you, I've torn my ACL. I can get doctor's records for it. And I can tweet the scar if you guys don't believe me. It is not a laugh. Like, I'm not, I mean, I say that jokingly, but I'm serious in the fact that, guys, it's not something that you should play on lightly. Especially with a guy that's like two, almost three hundred pounds and seven foot one, like guys, I I don't I know that you know Joel's window is small. He he should not be sacrificing his potential future for a shot this season. I I don't I would hate to see his career flounder in a serious way because he didn't take care of this. Does seem like we're going to see him play again at some point. It, it doesn't seem like he's done for the season yet, but uh, you know, Joel is a very big and physical player. He invites contact pretty regularly. He's someone who gets bumped around a lot. Knee injuries are always tricky. Meniscus injuries again. This when he tore his left meniscus a while back. Think back to that Houston game. The initial reports were that it was like some big laceration. It was pretty similar to what we've seen with this report. So there's definitely a chance that it could get worse. I'm not a doctor, so I I can't like make grand proclamations about his future or anything. But there's definitely some level of concern here. Again, they're facing Atlanta, which is just a much better team than Washington. You can't mess around with the Hawks. They are more than capable of winning this series if Joel misses a few games. So they're they're getting into serious territory here. Um, uh, I mean, I think Lucas is is just proving why he is so great on this podcast and covering this team. He's like an encyclopedia of knee injury knowledge, which is great. <laughs> Personal, it's, it's really coming in handy with this team. So I think that's Chris, very that useful. was great. I love that. Thank 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 you for the shout out. Not what I uh, I appreciate the shout out, Chris. I I I swear my knee injury history is not the reason why I joined this website. Though I'm glad it can be give some insight for sure. You need to uh, you need to work for Rothman Institute. I don't just, even just know. Go ahead. Is. <laughs> oh well, it's a Philly thing. Yeah, man. I mean, okay. look, he couldn't he couldn't stay in Phoenix. Their medical staff is too good. He he had to come over to Philly. It's ex- um, that's exactly right. Yep, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so, Lucas, um, let's say Embiid isn't exactly one hundred percent. Let's say he maybe misses a game or two in the Atlanta series. Do you still trust them to beat the Hawks? Um, if he misses only a game or two, yes. But it would become a seven-game series then. But if he misses more than two games, then they're not. I don't. I honestly don't. I I don't think Sixers have enough. Center depth to deal with it, and I wrote about this earlier today. And I referenced back to your article about Dwight earlier in this in the you know Wizards series about this, but they could have been they and and you know the the trade to get George Hill was the right one, but you lose a lot of center depth with Tony Bradley going to Oklahoma City, 
and Vincent Poirier getting traded to the Knicks thing getting waived. Granted, Poirier probably wouldn't have played anyway, but <laughs> still, like the loss of Tony Bradley it should not be underscored, especially now in this series. Uh, I know I'm a Tony Bradley lover in terms of, you know, I love the fact that he was coming on as a young prospect showing that he could be a legit backup center in this league, star gap star uh, starter. But he gives something, he gives more mobility as a defender and he gives the Sixers a different look at center that Dwight just can't do at this point in his career. And obviously there was a reason why he was in the starting five versus Dwight and he would have been greatly, uh, you know, utilized if he was still on the team. Now, like I said, making the trade for George Hill was the right trade. You needed to get a veteran point guard in there. This, there is a two-edged sword to that trade, and this is the trade-off for it. So if he's not feeling at least like 90% of what he can be, then there's no point of him going out on the court. The only if it's bothering him while he plays, then there's an issue. It's, if it's bothering him after he plays, which sometimes happens to me, you can deal with it. Yeah, look, if the Sixers aren't getting at or near the the you know peak Joel Embiid, if he's slowed in any way, they're pretty much screwed when it comes to the conference finals. Um, I don't want to be too dramatic about it, but the Bucks and the Nets are two very talented, very effective teams mm-hmm. um so you know they need Joel Embiid at full strength they're gonna they're gonna have any chance of getting to the championship and they obviously have the future to think of as well um you, you don't want this to linger into next season and beyond you need Joel to act as the cornerstone of this franchise ideally for another five or six seasons at least so they they need to keep the long game in mind for sure um they, they shouldn't be running him out there if he's not at as close to full strength as possible. I mean, I like I said, I think if if he can if they can survive one of two games without Joel, I think they can win this series. But if if he's out longer than that, then there's no point. But let's go ahead and you talked about the Bucks and uh the Nets, but let's go ahead and switch gears here, Chris. Because they're gonna be matching up. They're gonna be meeting on Saturday. Who's the most important player on the Nets for this series? Well, I, I I mean, I think I lean Kevin Durant. Broadly speaking, I think Harden's their most important player in general. But for this series specifically, I think Kevin Durant is going to have some pretty tough challenges on defense. Um, Milwaukee has the capacity to go small, you know, and swap Brooke Lopez for P.J. Tucker, for example, which I think we're going to see a lot of in this series. Um, he's going to have to do some, like, Giannis guarding. Nick Claxton can't play forever. DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin aren't really ideal. Um, Kevin Durant has not been great defensively in the Celtics series. I'm interested to see how he holds up in this specific matchup. I think he'll be fine offensively. That's obviously pretty much never a problem with Kevin Durant. But how the Nets defense holds up, and more specifically how he holds up against such such a physical potential matchup, is, is really interesting to me. You know, it's interesting because I I do think the offense for De- Kevin Durant will be challenged more than ever because of Giannis. And Giannis, and you talk about Giannis's physicality, um, and Giannis is the, the stronger version of what Kevin Durant would be body type wise. If Kevin Durant put on a lot of muscle, that would be Giannis. But 
But I'm going to have to disagree with you. I, I'm actually going to say James Harden. And while you said he's the, and I think he's the most important because he makes that trio work because Kyrie's a score first, KD's a score first. They're not great facilitators between the two of them. I think having a playmaker like Harden is very important and making sure that he can, you know, facilitate well and score at a, you know, at his own pace will be key. And that, brings me to my second point is who's Milwaukee's most important player? Well, uh, I mean, it's easy to say Giannis, right? He's always their most important player. There's really no doubt there, but I I do think Drew Holiday is going to have to really uh, prove his mettle in this series. He's going to spend a lot of time on James Harden and Kyrie and probably on KD at points too. He's going to be all over the place for that defense. Defense is how Milwaukee is going to win this series. They have a lot of offensive firepower on that team, but they aren't just going to outgun Brooklyn. They're going to have to stop Brooklyn at different spots too. So Drew Holiday and his defense on the perimeter is going to play a pretty big part in that. So I I think he's someone to watch. I agree that Drew Holiday is the best and for the reason. His defense is going to be key in slowing down both James Harden and Kyrie. Though if I was Budenhoser, I would certainly make sure that he's covering James Harden more than Kyrie. I think that trade that they, they people said they overpaid for him, and I thought I was one of those people at the beginning of the season. But that first round is making people like myself look very foolish in terms of what Milwaukee had to give up to get him. Uh, but yeah, let's go uh, Let's go ahead and shift gears now. Who do you think between the two teams have the better bench? That That's pretty tough. I, I, I think, well, I don't know if it's very tough. I, I think it's Milwaukee. You mentioned P.J. Tucker is just a really good player still and, and a great, really a starting caliber player. And there's a chance he might end up starting depending on how Brooklyn um, runs their five-man group. We didn't see any DeAndre Jordan in the Celtics series. Maybe they switch that up to match Milwaukee's size a bit, but odds are we're probably going to see Blake Griffin or Nick Claxton in that starting five. That's a pretty small mobile group. So I think there's a chance we see a lot of P.J. Tucker in this series again. Bobby Porter's had a really strong run against the Heat. He can put up points in a hurry. Brent Forbes and his shooting was also really big in that Miami series. So uh, Brooklyn has some nice pieces. I like Nick Claxton a lot. I like Bruce Brown a lot. But I think the better holistic bench is Milwaukee. I agree for all the reasons that you said. Now, if they if the Nets for some reason had Blake Griffin coming off the bench, then it would be a closer conversation. But Bryn Forbes Forbes have has been going off during the playoffs. And then you also have guys like you said, Bobby Portis, who can light it up any given night. He PJ Tucker, like you said, starting caliber guy. Yeah, so their starting shooting guard is out. I'll be interested to see how they address that in this upcoming series. But um, overall, yeah, I, I would say the Bucks have clearly the better bench. They're the deeper team by far. They're probably one of the deeper teams in the playoffs still. Um, but let's let's go and talk about the coaches now. Who do you think is the better coach between Steve Nash and Mike Budenhoser? Um, This is a tough one because we don't really have – much on Steve Nash yet. He's only been there for a season. Obviously, he has a ton of great basketball minds behind him on the bench. You know, Mike D'Antoni, Jacques Vaughn, Aime Oduka, who used to be with Philly. So he he has some great guys on that bench. Um, I think he's proven himself to be a pretty capable and adaptable coach. Um, But Mike Budenholzer has 
only coached good teams pretty much since he stepped into the league. He led the Hawks to 60 wins. He has led the Bucks to two one seeds in a row before this season. Obviously, the playoffs have been a bit of a challenge to this point, but he's clearly made an effort to adapt this season and to put more versatility and more adaptability into that group. I think he's really just a, a, a proven coach at this point, so I, I honestly might leave, lean um, towards Mike Budenholzer. I'm going to have to say the same. I think Bodenhoser is the clear choice. We don't know what Steve Nash can do with a team now loaded with superstars, now with a uh, full, almost a star studded, you know, supporting cast on the coaching ranks, too, because Mike D'Antoni has been one of the better coaches in the NBA. He was in the running for the Sixers head coaching gig before it was ultimately given to Doc Rivers. Um, as you said, Idoka has been a long standing standard as a coach. And then you have Jacques Vaughn, who has is a very respected coach among players. Um, he was in the running for that Nets job before it was ultimately given to Steve Nash. Uh, Steve Nash, obviously one of the best point guards in NBA history. I would say top 10 of all time, or maybe top five, depending on what you value in a point guard. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't know what his X's and O's look like outside of, you know, having superstars and having a guy like D'Antoni behind him. We don't, we just don't know. And we do know what we have in, in Mike Budenhoser. So I'm going to go Budenhoser as well. Predictions wise, who do you have coming out of this series? Well, um, I'll probably end up just sticking with my prediction from before the playoffs, but I do think this is going to be really an interesting test for Brooklyn. Their defense is not very good. Again, they're pretty much playing without a true center at this point. Nick Claxton coming off the bench is a center per se, but they're a very small group. They don't really have the best defensive fundamentals as a team either. They're kind of lax on that end, or at least they were in the Celtics series. It's hard for me to pick against the Nets, so I'll say Brooklyn in seven. Yeah, I'm going to say Brooklyn in seven too, but I would not be surprised if the Bucks pull the upset because I think they're that good defensively and they're showing a lot more diversity on offense in that in that Miami Heat series. So I'm going to say Nets, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks come out of this either. So, yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. But you're right. It is your time to shine yet again, my friend. Okay, our midweek poll question was about Joel Embiid. And on the Sixers Sense Twitter site and Facebook site, we asked people, should Joel Embiid play again before getting surgery on his torn meniscus? And out of 454 votes, 68% of people said yes, and 32% said no. So, Lucas, what's your feeling on that? Poor shame, Sixers fans, poor shame. He has a window. It's not going to close after this season, especially if he takes care of this knee-ish injury now. It could close after the season if he doesn't and it gets worse. My answer is clearly no. He should not play again until after he gets his knee fixed. Well, look, I mean, I'm I'm not one to question the doctors who have trained their whole life to analyze these things. If, if they say he's good to go and that he can play on it and they're confident in that, I mean, far be it for me to say no. Obviously, it's it's been a bit foolhardy in the past to say, yeah, I trust the Sixers medical staff. That hasn't always worked out with respect to Embiid and meniscuses. But um, 
if if they think he's good to go, I, I guess he got to try it. I, I know he's going to want to play for sure. You got to protect him from himself in a way. But if there's any sign at all that it's getting worse or that it's really starting to flare up and cause problems, then then you got to shut him down. I'm I'm going to say this. The medical staff in Boston said it was okay for Isaiah Thomas to play on his hip. Well, they did say it's a minor, it's a minor tear. I, I, I understand that. Minor. And then they said at the time that Isaiah Thomas only had a hip strain. Yeah. Well, so, well, so I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, I don't always trust NBA medical staffs. I the only one I trust is the one in Phoenix, even though yeah. they couldn't fix me. That was a but, joke, of course, but yeah. Doctors make mistakes sometimes, but we are also podcasters sitting around a house we aren't there in the x-ray room we we don't know the exact situation so it's hard for us to say with any real certainty but uh, i mean obviously the general sentiment is they just need to be careful he's he's their prized asset in in every way possible so um protect him from himself and protect him from that knee injury just an abundance of caution is absolutely the way to go one person did chime in and leave a comment even though it's just a, a yes or no poll question someone said it's now or never that's what someone said and I, I i felt that sense of urgency i mean he can get hurt the first week of next season and then his career is over but this is our best shot i i think he should I, like i think like you said chris be precautionary if he starts showing some real signs of discomfort then yeah, take him out and and ice him. Just well, let him look. Rest. I I think the response to that is that Philly can certainly put together a better roster next season. They still have trade chips on the table. I I don't think this was the absolute final iteration of Daryl Morey's dream team. Um, so I I don't know if this is it now or never. Brooklyn's not going to get any younger. Milwaukee. Also, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, not going to get younger. So I, I don't know if it's now or never. I, I, I think, yes, the Sixers window is open this season. But if Joel isn't at 100%, it, it's not really open. Because I don't think the Sixers are the most complete team in the East, much less the NBA. So I, I, I do think it's worth proceeding with a pretty significant deal of caution. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking... I don't know. If it was me, I I would shut myself down. But, but you know, everybody's different. You just um, said you were playing pickup games. I said it. Well, I mean, it's I'm not making a career off off of playing pickup games. I'm making a career teaching children. There's a big difference. So, uh, I don't need my niece for that. I, you know, so that's different. But if I was making money off of the health of my knees, I would shut myself down. So, I mean. Double standard, maybe, but, you know, it is what it is. But, Chris, I think it's time for you to play us out, bud. Yeah. Look, guys, second round of the playoffs is coming up. We're going to have a lot of exciting content here in the near future. I, myself, am from an Atlanta household, so if the Hawks somehow win the series and beat injury or not, I'm never going to hear the end of it. So, a lot on the line. Um, it's a very exciting podcast coming up in the near future. Some more guests, some playoff basketball, obviously. And to all our listeners, thanks again for tuning in to yet another episode of the podcast. Please leave a review wherever you're listening. Give us five stars if you can. 
We really would appreciate it. It would help us out a lot. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you want us to talk about, what we can do better, what we've done well, all that stuff. We would really appreciate it. And we will talk to y'all early next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.